0: Hello, Welcome to MusicCast. My name is CJ Cox, and thank you for listening. On this episode, I'll be talking to renowned audition coach and author of the book, Audition Freedom, The Irreverent Wellness Guide for Theater People. But first, we're going to be talking to the Foundation for New American Musicals show search alumni, Mina Bloom, who, along with her writing partner, Leland Frankel, are getting ready for our bi-monthly showcase, Musical. They are going to present numbers from a new show they're working on based on Chekhov. It's called We Three Sisters. So let's talk to Mina and Leland.
1: Hello, my name is Leland Frankel. I'm the Frankel half of Frankel and Bloom, and I'm the lyricist for We Three Sisters.
2: And I'm Mina Bloom, the Bloom half, and I am a composer, and I did the music for We Three Sisters. Uh,
0: that's, that's great. Now, Mina, we know you because you were a finalist um, in our most recent show search. Do you want to tell us about that process a little bit?
2: Yeah, so I was with another lyricist named Bailey Cher Ezaik. Cool. <laughs> okay.
0: Oh, uh, we've got we've got lyricist jealousy. Um, going
2: on. Uh, she was lovely. Um, we did a musical called Murder Foot, which is a twenties murder mystery farce, um, and it was a blast. Several people die, and there's a lot. There's a detective having a midlife crisis, and it's just a good time. Um, show search was fantastic. It was. I got a chance to meet. Um, Anthony Luca, and that's how I met uh, Tegan and and uh, and Greg and all of them. Uh, it was an amazing chance. There were master classes. They gave us advice on how to put together a musical, how to produce one, um, how to get one you know uh, on its feet and seen. And that's kind of what musical is. Uh, my next step. Our next step towards uh, bigger picture stuff. I feel like Show Search was a great chance for college age in high school, and now it's time to move on to some bigger leagues. So
0: Okay, and do you, uh, you recently
2: graduated, right? Yes. Okay. Last June, I graduated UCLA with a theater degree. Congratulations. Yes. Now, how did, you, how did you find out about Show Search? Um, Leland and I did the 2015 Show Search together. Mm-hmm. Um, he approached me my sophomore year um, with- That was our first project. Yep, with Emily again, uh, which was a time-traveling musical that we brought to the 2015 show search. Um, and he he just approached me. He said, hey, you're the piano chick, aren't you? And I would play and <laughs> accompany for other people's pre-existing work. Um, for, every,
1: for pretty much every show at UCLA I saw, Mina was the pianist. Then we took a vaudeville class together. And I remember Tom Orth, our teacher in the vaudeville class, had us go around in a circle and say what our aspirations were. And I remember you saying specifically that... Uh, you were a pianist who was hoping to one day compose, and I thought, oh, that's perfect. I don't know her at all, but I'm looking for a composer right now for this competition that a friend sent me. So I just approached you after class, I think. Yep. yeah.
2: and the rest is history. <laughs> okay,
1: that,
0: that's great. Now, so how long you guys have been working together since college? Uh, yes. So about two years. Okay.
2: Yeah. Okay. 2015.
0: Yep. And how did your collaboration, I mean... How did that form? And how did you decide? Like, how do you work together? I mean, do you have a process? Do you have a specific t-
1: time that you set aside? Or how does that work for you guys? First, she goes ba da da da. Then I go ch ch ch. A little, little merrily, we roll along uh, for those of you <laughs> there. We um, definitely
2: do lyrics first. Um, tend to
1: be lyrics first.
2: Okay. Uh, and you had the idea for a time-traveling, first-date type of musical. That was Emily again, handed oh, right? Me, oh, uh-huh. Yes, he handed me the full first draft of lyrics, and I went into the cave, like I like to call it, and I emerged from the cave with our first song, and then we would edit it together and see you know, what worked, what needed to be cut, what didn't.
1: It was remarkable what she did with that first, considering I'd never written really any kind of musical thing before, that she was was able to take my uh crude concepts of rhythm and structure and turn it into something as wonderful as she did i was you know i couldn't have been a luckier guy to ask for that in the partner now yeah.
0: you say you'd never done that before so uh, what attracted you what uh what at what point did you decide i want to i want
1: to write musicals and what was the inspiration for that Good question. I've always, not always, for most of my life I've been very into musical theater. I grew up in New York. My parents were sort of avid, not avid, but regular theater goers, and they took me to see Broadway musicals when I was a child, so that was very impactful on me. I remember seeing Lion King for the first time, which must have been just after it came out, Mm -hmm. if that was in 98. And so I was always a fan of musical theater, and I was always a writer, but then sort of around the end of high school, start of college, when I was really started doing theater, and then I went to college to study theater, uh, that was when I first sort of had the notion of, instead of trying to write prose and just plays, of trying to turn my hand to musical theater. I was always very intimidated by it, mostly because the people that I admired most, the Sondheim, et cetera, they did the music too, and I was always very kind of greedy about not wanting to share my artistic process in a lot of ways. I was too scared, you know, to put my lyrics out there for somebody else to then... Uh, work on and I'd worked with one or two other people before just on small like single song things mm. and it had gone uh, and the collaborative process had been uh, and but then this opportunity for this competition a friend told me about it, and it was too good to resist and I'd had this Emily again idea noodling around in my head for ages it was a short film at first it was a full length play it was a movie it was I decided no this is the perfect format for it and then me and I just clicked so well working together it was became serendipitous and it's been a big part of my life since but before that I was not super uh, focused on writing musical theater it was not something I'd really done too much of Mina, you know, what about you
2: um, well I was the kid that watched the Cats videotape uh, and Lloyd Webber till the point where it broke um, <laughs> I love I've always loved are you loved... sure
0: you broke uh, it broke or did Perhaps one of your parents, just
2: <laughs> probably both uh-huh. because we watch it together. Um, but yeah, I've been going to musical theater my whole life, and I for the longest time was like, I want to direct movies. I guess I don't know. I just want to be in charge of something, but I don't know how. And writing scared the heck out of me. Um, but i had been playing piano since I was four, and I have you know throughout college been accompanying you know different Broadway type shows, and and I just you know I kind of got sick of playing other people's stuff. I wanted to see what I could do. Um, with composing, and I had the, you know, the music theory background, so I wasn't totally lost. And, and I love comedy. I love musical comedy in general. I, I used to, I was acting in, in uh, high school. I did musicals, and The Drowsy Chaperone, mm-hmm. Bye Bye Birdie, all those classic. Hits and, I, and I, I didn't want to do acting because I hate rejection. So I quit you're never that.
1: rejected when you write for the theater. Well, uh, not, it's just. It's white female brunettes
2: get rejected a lot as oh, actors. Although, do, oh, you, Lord,
1: I can't. do you find that there
0: is sometimes a comfort um, as a writer that your work gets rejected? That uh, the criticism is still about your work and that there at least is is a level of removal between as an actor.
2: It's... Yes, I I definitely, I actually embrace rejection when it comes to writing for that very reason, because it's not like oh, you're not right for this project. It's more like, you're right for this project, but I think you can do better. Okay, and I prefer right. that, because uh-huh. with actors, it might really truly be, you're not right for this project, and that breaks my heart. Um, so, <laughs> so, and there's
0: kind of nothing you can do there's to, nothing be, you can to do. be taller. Or... I, yeah, I
2: like knowing that there is something I can do. I can mm-hmm. go back to the drawing room, it is my, you know, I am in control of it, um, at least half of it mm-hmm. um, and, and, and we can make revisions and stuff, that gives me the hope that we can be better um, and that we're in charge and we are in the writing room that's way more comforting to me than being on the opposite end of the table, so
1: no, I think that's that's very valid. Too. For the record, yeah. I, I still do not like rejection. I do not enjoy it, and it makes me very sad when it happens. <laughs> Great. I try really? to learn from it, but but it makes me sad. Like you talked about, you talked about being nervous about about
0: sort of exposing someone else to your lyrics the first time. How did you overcome that?
1: Um, you know, you, I think it was almost less a fear of like being told that they're not good. I think I've always had a lot of internal confidence in my work, as I think Mina could, but arguably too much, but just more giving over a part of the process to somebody else. One of the reasons that I think I always wrote and mostly wrote prose my whole life until, I want to say the past five years, which is when I really branched out into doing theater and film and television writing for that the first time, is that as a writer, I sort of had complete control of the process. And what I put out there was exactly what it was and what you got. And so the more I did theater, the more I sort of opened myself up to the possibilities of collaboration and saw what collaboration could do, and then this sort of was the end point of that, I would say, and I was able to say, okay, I am half of the thing. I can put out lyrics, and this is somebody that I can trust to take those lyrics and to make something that is so much better than the music I heard in my head. I'll write something to like a loose tune in my head, and maybe me and I will share like a Little muse, like a little like what we call Recorded note about you know what I think it sounds like, and then she'll bring me something that's so much better. I feel almost silly for thinking like I'm like no, that's how it's supposed to sound. Like no, that's you know it's so much better than I know it.
0: Okay, that's that's great. Now tell me about what you're presenting tonight at Music Hall.
2: So we're doing a song cycle of We Three Sisters, which is based loosely off of Chekhov's play Three Sisters, Um, but it's set in the 90s in the U.S., not Russia, um, with these three sisters who, um, who, through the middle of the play, they start to realize how closely... Uh, paralleling their, their lives are to Masha, Olga, and Irina. Um, so it's kind of a fun. Uh, it's very self-aware of the fact that sibling rivalry is kind of you know universal, and 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 I feel like there aren't enough sibling stories explored on stage, um, especially women's stories. Um, so that's what we're aiming to do. As a composer, my goal is to present three female harmonies, which doesn't get seen too often. Um, you know, with the the absence of any male uh, mm-hmm. harmony, uh, just three female voices, um, and exploring how much fun they have and how much they fight and how much they, they love and hate each other at the same time. Um, those are things that I want to explore in my life, um, and that's what we're bringing here.
0: So did the impetus, impetus like who who sort of originated this idea?
1: Um, I, I definitely originated. We tend to, we definitely tend to, I would, I like to say that our relationship is I come up with a thing I write down a thing, I bring it to Mina, and then she points out the X, Y, Z, these are the ways that it can't work so that I can fix it and make it better so it does work. She is you know, the other half of my brain in that regard. We'll have a thing and she'll see what's good about the thing and what needs to be fixed about the thing for sure. Um, So this originated with me, I'm a huge Chekhov fan. And then in doing this, our big ambition too was to kind of break away from musical theater convention. It's definitely, it's a song cycle I would say in most regards. There's a story, a through line through it uh, but one that's not necessarily um, chronological or simple to follow. It goes back and forward through time and different notions of reality. And then music. I mean, what we were trying to do was we were so inspired by you know composers like Dave Malloy, like Adam Gettle, like Lacusa. These people who really break genre conventions in so many ways, and who aren't just writing what the traditional notion of musical theater. When you tell people that you write for musical theater, I think people have a very have a certain idea of what that means and a certain sound of that. And we wanted to write music that, yes, is inspired by that, but we wanted this to be a show where we didn't feel confined by it and where we could feel like, okay, we are writing musical theater our own way and pushing it forward in our own way. That's sort of, I think, what we really strive to do as a partnership is we really want to work on shows and write music that pushes the kind of medium forward instead of sort of staying where it's more comfortable for us sometimes mm-hmm. do you feel
0: like there now you say you were you grew up in in new york
1: yeah well I, I was a kid i was like six or seven but yeah
0: oh okay and then um do you feel that there's a difference sort of um in styles between new york and los angeles so this uh this difference that you're talking about sort of the the musicals that you want to write um sort of branching away from sort of what might be considered traditional musical theater genre. Um, do you feel like that's, uh, that's more of a possibility in Los Angeles?
1: Uh, I'm not sure if it's, if it's you know, with so much the geography, but I think you're right in that there's a sort of a different mindset to it, I mean, especially through college and then in graduate school, which I just finished. It's been this whole being exposed to different ways of creating, different ways of creating theater, a theater that was not linear, thinner theater that was not a traditional narrative, that was not realistic, mm-hmm. uh, that was not in a realistic or a naturalistic style. And so for me, it was sort of taking these more avant garde theater ideas I was learning and all of this stuff I was seeing. I was in Russia for four months, I saw some 60 shows in about a three to four month period. And you know, just sort of understanding like, how much more can be done always and listening to like Dave Molloy's Song Psycho Ghost Quartet and being like, okay, this is the closest I've ever had to a religious experience seeing this okay. live and knowing like, okay, musical theater can do so much more than what I think of musical theater as being. And I do think of that as sort of a New York thing in some ways just because the theater scene, the off-Broadway theater scene there is such an incubator for new mm-hmm. and unusual talent in L.A. because it's a little more spread out. I think it's sort of a harder time for things to kind of coalesce and be seen and shared in, like, an interesting public way. In New York, you can have, like, a game change. You can have something that comes out and it shifts the medium. In L.A., things sort of happen, but you can be deeply entrenched in the scene and still miss something vital and essential that happens because it's in Culver City and you live too far.
0: And there are pockets here. Yes, pockets. Um, Now, as a a song cycle, what do you see as sort of the future of this project?
2: Uh, well, um, since it is a song cycle without a book uh, we we I mean, were challenging ourselves with just writing music, telling the story um, and we it 's under the the umbrella of like atmosphere theater mm-hmm. uh, experimental it 's not meant to drive a plot along. Um, we just kind of want to sit three girls in a room and ask them. Can un- Unpack stuff, please. Unpack okay, yeah. stuff, you know? Like, uh, uh, let's let's get all that out that we've been, you know. So I think what I would love to see happen with this is to get it at a, at a regional theater to mm-hmm. start. Develop it. Make sure that all the stuff on our end is ironed out. Make sure that actual human hu- females can sing the notes that I've projected <laughs> that That's they can sing. That's
1: a big sing. part of our thing, is me writing something her saying, a human being cannot do this yeah. whole line. There needs to be a breath. Yeah. Uh, right. And okay. me being like, do right. they need to breathe? And she's like, yes. And they uh, do, it ends up, they always do. She's never been wrong about that.
0: Do, <laughs> that. do actors really need to breathe? I actors.
2: Mean, <laughs> Every yeah, once in a while, yeah. I think they should. You know,
0: you lose a couple <laughs> along the way. Is it <laughs> oh, that big geez. a sacrifice? Um, <laughs> funny, uh, okay, and then what is, um, uh, what's next for you guys after this? Uh, do you have other plans? Are there other things in the works?
1: There's definitely a few ideas that we've been... Considering that we've been toying with this, has been such a long endeavor for us. It's been a long endeavor because pretty much for the almost the entirety of our partnership, I've been away in Boston. I've been away on the other side of the country, so it's been
0: well. And you very, mentioned you know, Russia, at and I some was in point. Russia
1: at that point too. So it's been definitely slow going because we've had we've been so busy and we haven't had a chance, you know, be in the same room and to do a lot of work together. But we're finally nearing the completion of this project. You know, almost around two years in. But we've definitely got other ideas on the horizon. Again, you know, projects that we want to sort of step outside the bounds of traditional musical theater. I mean, some of the ideas we've discussed have been uh, based on the uh, Russian novel uh, Lady Macbeth of the Matensk District. Uh, we have an idea based on the life of the, uh, the party murder killer uh, from the late 90s, about the, mm-hmm. like, the 90s club kid scene. Right. Dark ideas, definitely all dark ideas. And um, yet you want to write comedy.
2: Well, there's dark
1: comedy, <laughs> right, right? I mean, there's, there's
2: comedy in stuff.
1: the dark.
0: Yes, I,
1: um, I You think can't have one without the other. You're dark and right. zone is oppressive. But I'm yeah. not
0: ruling that out as a, as a very <laughs> valid genre. But, yeah. uh, it, but it's interesting that uh, you seem to... Uh, that dark ideas really seem to inspire you, and yet you said that you were originally drawn to doing comedy.
2: Right. Well, we're both mm-hmm. cynics. We're both narcissistic, and we're both okay. really. I mean, we, we complain. Where's our reality
1: show? I mean, <laughs> I
2: I think that was what, what makes what we talk about interesting is okay. that we're always searching for something that irks us or something that bothers us that we have to unpack. And um, in in this medium, and and why else would we write anything if it didn't bother us? We we didn't want to explore it more okay. um, and don't worry about things
1: you're comfortable with you know you write about things that need to be figured out
0: right yeah okay yeah. that's that's a, that's a great point um so if people now hopefully we will be able to present a clip from uh, from tonight or, or maybe you've got uh, something else but um if people want to sort of follow your progress um uh first of all with uh, we three sisters um is there, is there a way that they can kind of, people can be updated?
1: On uh, that? Yes, we do have a Facebook page, Frankel and Bloom, which connects to our SoundCloud, which is also Frankel and Bloom. Okay. Um, I believe it's, it's not with an ampersand. I think it is with A-N-D that we sometimes spell it with an ampersand instead of writing out and. Uh, we don't have...
0: Uh, so, two... so, yeah, could you maybe spell that out for us then? Yes,
1: Frankel, F-R-A-N-K-E-L, and A-N-D, Bloom. B-L-O-O-M. F-R-A-N-K-E-L-A-N-D-B-L-O-O-M.
0: Frankl and Bloom. Great, great, great. And um, what uh, is... So, Facebook uh, yes. and uh, SoundCloud. SoundCloud. Facebook page.
1: Mm-hmm. We like to, you know, we upload stuff about new events or showings of our work. We have new material recorded, we share. We like to do a little thing called Forgotten Gem Friday, where every Friday we share a number, either a number from a lesser known musical or a lesser known number from a known musical, and sort of talk about how it inspired us and what we love about the piece, and just sort of helping to uncover a lot of lesser known works in the canon.
0: Okay, that sounds really great. Well, I am looking forward to uh, hearing your music this evening. Thank you you so so much. much. Thank you so much for joining me. Right now we're going to listen to a selection from the song cycle We Three Sisters by Mina Bloom and Leland Frankel. This is Gone. Gone.
2: gonna be, gone, better tell society, I will not sit and let you, forget you, or give up and quit all the shit that upsets you, gone, pretty soon it's gonna be, gone, aiming at an enemy, knowing it's the end of me, going, going.
0: above it is below if we can't second guess
3: when
1: we're pressed for an estimate left his behest with the rest of it gone pretty soon it's gonna be gone save for the anxiety owing to your piety going
2: Whatever way I fear, the other disappears for good. I halt in hesitation, planted like a fairy tale
1: enchanted.
2: Am I to trust these guarantees and learn to live with my regrets? Or choose to walk among the trees? Excuse the past that we've been set. We have to choose to walk. How can we the choose trees. to walk Excuse among the trees? Past that we've been Excuse the past that said. we've been we set. Have to choose to walk. How can we, we choose to walk among the trees? Excuse the past that we've been set. Be how can we learn to walk among the trees? Excuse the past that we've been set. Gone, only life I'll ever live.
1: An alternative.
2: How can I do or die when the chances are high that I'll fall like a bird who's been, been shot from the shot sky? Shot the sky? Gone. Pretty soon it's gonna be
1: gone. Never mind the pedigree showing an apology going on.
0: Leland for talking to me and for sharing that selection with us. You can hear more from both of them at Franklin Bloom on Facebook or on SoundCloud. So check that out. And right now we're going to talk to VP Boyle. He is one of the preeminent Broadway audition coaches. In fact, he wrote the book on it. It's called Audition Freedom, the irreverent wellness guide for theater people. So let's hear from VP, there are so many things that we have to talk about. So let's say, and this is my standard question: We're sitting in a plane. I don't even you know, know you. I say, okay, VP, what do you do?
3: Normally, I would say I'm a Broadway audition coach and I'm an educator in musical theater.
0: Okay, that's pretty good. Um, but that doesn't. But you're also a filmmaker, um, mm-hmm. uh, an author. Um, anything else that we're not uh, covering?
3: No. Yeah. Director uh, as well. Producer. Uh uh, But those things are things that I don't share out of the gate. It's easier to kind of talk about musical theater from an education standpoint before I get into things I've done. Because then people want to know, oh, what shows were you in? And who do you know? And did you, you know, and then it gets into a whole different storyline. So if I'm on a plane, I I say I'm an educator and I call it a day. Okay. That's, uh, (laughs) that's, that's, that's pretty good. Do you,
0: um, what do you feel is your primary focus? Education?
3: You know, education has been my primary focus for the last decade. Um, you know, I was a I was in New York for twenty years, and over half that time, I was a Broadway audition coach. I didn't plan on going to New York and becoming the go-to guy for that. I didn't plan on f- figuring out that I had superpowers in that that arena. You know, it was something I fell into. I was in, you know, went as a performer, did some big shows, and realized I was a little bored with the drill of going out on the road leaving my apartment, you know, sleeping in beds at, you know, regional theaters that I didn't like and, uh, decided to stay in New York city, uh, long-term and not leave town. And once you make that decision, you kind of are saying, I'm only going to do Broadway or big shows, or I'm going to start to do other things. Right. So I actually got involved in casting. I was very, very fortunate to launch Dave Clemens casting with Dave Clemens. Um, and because we had a long relationship, he became kind of big out of the gate so, I found myself three months into having never cast casting Broadway shows Wow that's... it doesn't typically happen that way,
0: Yeah, that sounds really fortunate,
3: Yeah, it was. So I spent two years doing that although um, let's
0: uh, let's back up let's get yeah. uh, let's get background on you. so uh where are you from? Where did you grow up? I grew up in a cornfield in Illinois. <laughs> Okay. A literal cornfield. Were you on a,
3: a farm boy? I wasn't a farm boy. We, you know, by definition, it was a town, but I think we had 3,000 people in my hometown. Uh, and there, it was merged with other ho- small towns around it so that we could maybe get to 10,000 with five different little cities. But um, at the time I grew up there, it really was all cornfields. Now it's urban sprawl all the way from Chicago, but it was about an hour and a half southwest of
0: Chicago. Okay. And were you always interested in theater? I mean, oh, yeah. Kids. So what. How old were you? What was the first point at which you thought, yeah, this is, this is a thing? You know, in terms of a career or
3: something I wanted to do no, for life? No, actually,
0: I guess what, what were the first shows or songs that you remember that really drew you to, to the theater where you thought, okay, I, I just want to do that? Totally. Uh, the first show I ever saw, the first
3: big show we drove all the way to Chicago was to see the National Tour of Annie. Uh, And and how old were you? I Gosh, I knew you were going to ask me that. (laughs) I was probably in fourth grade, maybe. And I was just mesmerized by the whole experience. And, you know, years later, I, you know, became friends with Andrea McArdle and her brother. So, like, you know, that was was kind of a full circle loop of, like, small kid in cornfield in Illinois, dreaming about New York. And then years later, remembering, oh, wow, I'm here. And I'm actually in this world, the Broadway community. Um, But Annie was, like, the first thing that kind of the first big show I saw and I fell in love with musical theater and then ironically I lied to my mother when I was 16 years old And me I and, think everybody lies to their at 16 but I, I told her I, I don't know what I remember what the excuse was but me and three friends went to Chicago to see Cats at the Schubert Theater and and that was something that you need to lie to your mother about yeah, you couldn't just say uh, yeah. oh we'd
0: like to go see Cats
3: well you know I was 16 years old and I'm driving downtown Chicago to go to the Schubert it, you know the I don't think she would have let me drive to Chicago. You know, we were small-town people. Okay. Um, But we made it and, and got out alive. And I'll never forget watching kind of that show thinking, I can't believe that these beautiful people who have these incredible bodies and can sing and dance like that actually get to do this for a living. I remember being very kind of awestruck by that and actually kind of in tears at the Jellicle Ball, which sounds a little cheesy when you think about cats. But I guarantee you, like, the thing that was interesting is that 10 or 11 years later... I was on the Winter Garden stage in New York City auditioning for Cats, and it had been like my seventh or eighth callback. And I had a moment of like, oh, I can't believe I'm going through this callback again, and I still haven't booked this show. And I, you know, and then I was standing on the Winter Garden stage, and I looked up to the balcony, or to the mezzanine, and I kind of had this weird flashback, and I saw myself uh-huh as a high school kid watching the show going oh i wish i could do that i wish i could be one of those people and here i was in new york city on the winter garden stage auditioning for a lead role in cats and i burst into tears and the casting director was like <laughs> are you okay i was like i'm so good right now i just need five minutes to pull myself together and i'll be right back and i literally like kind of went went you know off stage and pulled myself together and came back on stage and and, and that was kind of like oh okay the you know you never know what's going to set you on your path to the thing that you're meant to do. But that was like the validation I needed to know everything was the way it should be. Uh, that's
0: a great story. Now, what was your, um, so the process between, between lying to your mother and being, and, um, being on the stage at the winter garden, did you train primarily as a, uh, actor, dancer? Where did you, what did you train? You know, that's where it gets a little funny. I was, I got a business degree.
3: I actually, you know, was a very good student and okay. and uh, we were very poor, single mom, you know, living in the cornfields. So I got a full ride to the University of Illinois and my mom said, you can do anything you want with your life so long as you get a real degree.
0: <laughs> okay.
3: and I, And, you know, I understand where she was coming from. And I understood her fears. And 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 I was like, okay, that's the parameters of what she wants. And I understand why. So I'm going to go get a business degree. And then every elective I could take, I took uh, in voice and in dance and acting while I was there. So while I wasn't really a uh, musical theater major, I built my own kind of sub track.
0: So essentially, you were Sort of double major.
3: I was basically double majoring. I, I I talked my way into the voice department, even though I was a non major, and and demanded you know that I study with one of the best professors and and William Warfield, who you know you may recall was the original. Old Man River, he sang oh, Old Man River in the movie, right. you know, terrifying man with this big, deep voice. And, he, and he's like, why should I let you study with a professor? You're not a voice major. I'm like, well, I'm as good as any of your voice majors. Then why aren't you studying vocal performance? Because my mom wanted me to get a real degree. And he chuckled and he said, yes. So, so that was kind of like my way in. And then I went to the dance department and I said, I'd really like to take dance classes with your majors, not, you know, the, the non-major classes. And I got my butt kicked for four years in dance classes with majors, you know? Where was this? University of Illinois, okay. Champaign-Urbana. So Great. Wouldn't, wouldn't trade the experience for, for anything. And then when I graduated, you know, and I, I moved to Chicago right after school, I really filled in some of the gaps of my training there, uh, you know, with private study and with workshops and such.
0: Taking classes?
3: And... Yeah, Meisner and, and some other technique classes that I felt a little, you know, under, under skilled with. When I had gotten undergrad because I was a business major and diluted time, you know.
0: And did you feel more comfortable making the move to Chicago initially as opposed to heading straight for
3: New York? That's a great question. I actually went to Disney for, for two years. So
0: Disney in Orlando? In Orlando, or?
3: yeah. I did a show called The Diamond Horseshoe Jamboree, and then I did the original cast of Beauty and the Beast. Ah. I, they still have a costume track, I think, named after me. Uh, it's still running to this <laughs> stage. More than 25 years later, it's crazy. But at the time, i go, like, oh, we're going to make this into a Broadway show. And everybody at the park was like, yeah, right. you mm-hmm. know. And they did. And this was like Disney's exploration into, will this work on stage? After I was done there, I moved to Chicago... Just because all of my friends from college were there. And I thought about, you know, I always knew I was going to go to New York, but I thought I'd just spend some time with them before I had set up shop in New York. But I actually was flying to New York so often for callbacks that it was it was getting cost prohibitive for me to live in Chicago because literally like once or twice a month, my agent would be sending me to New York to... Auditioned for Chris in Saigon, or auditioned for Kenickie in Greece, and it was big roles, you know, for Broadway shows. And I thought, oh, I need to be there because Chicago's kind of a small town mentality for theater, and I'm getting, you know, seen for these big shows in New York. So I moved to New York, and like within three weeks, I had a job.
0: Wow, that's great. so it was
3: kind of crazy, but it was it was it's a good it's you know a lot of people say should I go to a smaller market before I go to the one of the major you know Los Angeles or New York depending on you know where you your interests lie. And I would say it's, it's kind of personal choice. I couldn't get a job in in Chicago because I was union and it was a very specific cup of tea. Uh, and, and, you know, that was a kind of a small family operation mentality in terms of theater there. And it was a very non-union market. You know, every show had like four or five equity contracts and the rest were non-union at all the kind of major. Th- at the time, it was mostly dinner theater stuff. So... I found it very hard to break into that circuit. And ironically, I moved to New York and was welcomed uh, in that talent pool, which is, you know, considered a much more competitive one. It was just that I, I fit better into that world in terms of my marketability and book shows kind of out of the gate. I, you know, I did Sunset and Pimpernel within two years after. So do you think there. it's
0: really a matter of just finding <laughs> finding the place that fits for you?
3: I do. Yeah. I do. I think it's a combination of what you're willing to stand and, and deal with uh, in terms of being a human and then also where you want to invest your time in your career. I wish I would have gone to New York a little bit sooner in terms of, of you know my own personal career. But it was very welcoming when I got there. There are some people that get there who are very talented who just cannot deal with living in New York City.
0: I would so- imagine that it's difficult to to really be at the top of your game on Broadway. And I think in the old days you could have been just a belter. That's right. You could uh, be just a hoofer and sort of, you know, be able to carry a tune. That's right. Um, or an actor who moves well. But now nowadays it feels, especially in the land of, of new musicals in America, that there is sort of this level of proficiency that I think some people had, but I just don't think really existed before.
3: Now you have to play instruments. Mm-hmm. You, know, uh, you know, the when I first moved to New York in the 90s, the... I was considered a triple threat, and I was somewhat unusual. Now everyone's a triple threat. Everyone's a quadruple threat, and they're really good. It's not like oh, they can you know they sing well. No, they're outstanding singers, and they're outstanding dancers, and they're outstanding actors. You
0: know, and then they play an instrument, and then they play four
3: instruments, and oh, and let me do some gymnastics on the side. You know, it's it's crazy, but it's also because people are. Because of, the, because of the kind of new excitement in musical theater, and I, I think Glee had a lot to do with this, Chicago the movie had a lot to do with this, we now have a whole generation of well-trained musical theater pros who started this when they were three. You know, right. like a, a, a dancer, when a dancer applies to BFA programs in college, they've been dancing for 15 years you know so th- exactly. so they're by definition a professional in terms of, of of extensive training to even get into some of the top programs that's what we see now with musical theater so so you know the, the world has changed and and i don't you know it's a little intimidating i think sometimes for people wanting to start out particularly if they're you know now that the, and i think it's such a great thing that we are moving into a more inclusive diverse approach to casting you know musical theater has been very homogenous for a long time um, but it also is, is, um, an art form where it's very difficult to, to get good and train the way you need to, if you don't come from resources. You know, I worked mm-hmm. very, very hard as, as kind of the poor kid with a single mom to get the training that I wanted, uh, and needed to, to, you know, talent's not enough. You kind of, you know, you, you really have to be in class. I would go to dance class when I was in high school at Vicky's dance studio with all the old ladies and take tap. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because I knew that that's what I had to do. And that was the only access I had to dance training at that level. I learned, you know, I was very fortunate to do community theater and, and work with some great dancers who taught me in the summers while we were doing shows how to partner. And, and ironically, that partnering ability was what got me my job at Disney.
0: I would imagine. Yeah. That they're, they do a lot of sort of partner shows. Yep. Um, but it really sounds like you're, you're talking about as a budding performer, Um, And maybe you have advice for budding performers who might hopefully be listening, that you have to advocate for yourself. Absolutely. And, And you
3: can't stick your head in the sand in terms of the skills that you have to develop. You know? I love the story or the idea. And, and this was, I said this once in terms of me being an audition coach. The reason I was the, the Broadway audition coach go to guy was because I had logged more than 10,000 hours doing it. I was just so, I had logged so many hours that someone could walk in, and within 20 minutes, I knew what their path was for 10 weeks.
0: Uh, so many hours doing, doing it, it. are you talking about yeah uh, um, being auditioning a coach. or, or coaching actually being a coach and in that
3: ten thousand hour rule you know they talk about it in soccer there's a or they talk mm-hmm. about it with violin players or whatever there's there's ability when you're young and then there's access and resources but once you get to a certain amount of hours logged the the people who stay in the game that long or who get to that level of mastery there's very there's very little difference between the person who was born with innate talent
0: and the person who did the work. So after 10,000 hours... Everybody's of, the same. Right. Everybody's world class. So do you have advice for, let's say, budding professionals that feel as if, oh, maybe I don't, I'm don't. i not the best dancer, so I'm just going to sort of rely on uh, my comedy chops or something like that? Is there a way to really, for them to get better? Uh, you think it's just putting in the hours?
3: It is. Uh, you know, the... A lot of people like will say, I don't dance. I'm not a dancer. Well, guess what? Then you're probably not gonna to have a, a sustained career in musical theater right now. You know, it's not that there aren't people who don't dance well who are doing well, but there's so few and far between. And and also the way up to principal role, unless you happen to, you know, be one of those rare few, is that you're gonna cover principal roles. And if you're covering the lead role. You know, I, I this was me in every show I did. I covered at least the the two principals or or some of the supporting. It was because I could do the, all of the ensemble stuff as well, mm-hmm. and I was a good enough actor to hold my own when I went on for the for the the stars. You know, the that's the world we live in. So people always say, well, you know, what does it take to book a Broadway show? And And I kind of always come back to the the three things, and and most of them you can learn. One is be really funny or understand different styles of comedy and get good at it. Comedy is, you know, some people are born with a funny gene, but it is a skill you learn. And you learn it from watching good comedians and breaking down their technique and taking class and, and focusing some of your energy on learning how to demonstrate And become proficient at different types of comedy. The other thing is dance. You know, so many people are like, oh, I don't dance or I haven't taken a lot of class. Well, then start taking it. If you are saying, I want to do professional musical theater, then you have to acknowledge that I have to be a great singer, a great actor, and a great dancer. You know, because musical theater is all of those things. And and the better you are at all of those skills and also being funny, um, the better, the more chance you have to work. Mm-hmm. The other thing, too, that I tell people that they, that is interesting to me, I was kind of on the forefront of the conversation about pop rock. And, and one of the first teachers in New York City to actually teach a dedicated pop rock class because I saw Rent and, and I was so enthusiastic and excited about what was happening, uh, as I was known as a contemporary theater singer when I moved to sing, moved to New York, that was the label. You know, I had a sound that was a little poppy, but a it little more poppy, a than, little bit more poppy than
0: traditional musical, like yeah. Rogers and Hannah. Yeah. yeah. And literally sort of...
3: th- that's why I went in for things. That's why Book sunset. They wanted contemporary theater singers, you know, th- back in the day, ironically, now you listen to that show and it feels old. Um, Pop rock came and now we've figured out how we have figured out how to write really good pop rock musicals again. So how exciting is it that popular Mm -hmm. music and Broadway have merged again? But you wouldn't be totally surprised at how many programs nationwide are still not really teaching pop rock. They're kind of dancing in it or they'll bring in, you know, master teachers to do, you know, special workshops um, both my programs had a full semester of pop rock as a class. Both of my programs, uh, New York Film Academy and Relativity School, had a full semester of comedy as a class because I think those skills are are imperative to booking work. And there and we're and there are still too many programs, unfortunately nationwide, who either haven't figured out how to get that training into their program or are resistant to it. I think now the conversation is is very clear that it has to be done. Mm-hmm. But a lot of programs are dealing with. Um, voice teachers or or uh, music departments that that teach old school classical technique and they don't know what to do. You know, when you've got a professor that only teaches bel canto and very legit, you know, operatic style singing and says that that is good singing or or classical training is the only way to good, good singing, how do you t- train a kid to sing alphabet eight, t- eight times a week? it's not the same technique exactly. it's it's a it's a whole different way of training it's like tra- it's tr- it, it would be the equivalent of saying i'm going to train a sprinter in the same way i would tra- train a marathon runner they're completely different they're it's completely different bodies and completely different types of training for them to be able to do what they do
0: so how did you now when you first started coaching how mm-hmm. was that just a natural progression of were you helping friends um because you had so much experience auditioning or how did how did you make that transition to just saying okay I'm going to start coaching people it was a weird one you know
3: happy accident i always like to say you know i didn't plan it i was casting at the time i was young uh, and I was still performing and casting. That really is a little bit of a conflict of interest for the record. Um, but I was trying to pull it off. And because I was so fascinated with trying to help people demonstrate or help them with the pop rock sound in musical theater, I started teaching classes and I was able to talk. I was b- casting Broadway shows and and was the same age as the talent pool that I was training. So I was a young coach and I could demonstrate. So So the reason that I kind of fell into it was... I was this odd, I wasn't just some old guy sitting there telling people how to act through a song. I was actually showing them how to, how to navigate it vocally, how to navigate it based on what was happening in the, in the contemporary kind of current landscape of casting Broadway shows. And ironically, I, when I first started, people would come to me because Frank Waldhorn, you know, I had done Pimpernel and I had cast Civil War and I directed a Frank Waldhorn show. So I was kind of plugged into the Frank Waldhorn world. And people wanted to learn how to sing Frank Waldhorn music. Isn't that funny? So that kind of led really? into the pop rock thing. Okay. And and, uh, and they're like, oh, yeah, you should go study with VP. He's great with Frank Waldhorn stuff. That was, er, ironically, one of the first ways into my coaching business. And then I became kind of just really focused on teaching contemporary musical theater techniques for the room. And, and it, again, it was just timing. You know, the, the audition world was seeing a, a shift in terms of, the acting was becoming more filmic. People re- were becoming more naturalistic and 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 really uh, realistic in terms of how they they lived inside the audition room, approached text, uh, physicality. You know, you see the mm-hmm. you see the audition stuff. I was like uh, like in all that jazz or whatever um, from the seventies and eighties, and people went walked onto the stage and they st- stood on the X and they. Blared out, you know, exactly. And belted 16 bars and walked off, you know, and the world's not like that anymore. Now. Now, you know, people walk into a room and there's a skill involved in how to kind of talk to the people behind the table. Take your cues from what's happening. Talk to the compass, Make it feel like it's more of a work session versus I'm here to prove I can sing and act. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really kind of what led to it.
0: Uh, so. So tell me a little bit more about about the book now. Do you cover all of this stuff that you were talking about?
3: Not at all. Isn't that funny? Um, and actually, I'm—I uh, have a revised version of that book coming out this year. Uh, that's going to have a whole new section on digital entrepreneurship. But that is like the—the the, people call that book the kind of like self-help wellness guide. It's not about audition technique versus the state of mind that you need to be in to make sure that auditions are a good thing or a get-to versus a have-to and pain-inducing, you know. Really? Experiences,
0: yeah. That is, I mean, that is sort of a major shift. So how did you, how did, how did you get to, to this theory? And tell me a little bit more about that state of mind and how people achieve that. Yeah,
3: you know, I, when I first sat down to write the book, everybody wanted me to write a book that was my class, basically in a book. Like what if people didn't have access to me or New York City? You know, how could they get some of the some of the things that I say? And I sat down to write the book and I started writing the most awful, stiff book. I, I think I call it like "Auditioning for Musical Theater in the New Millennium." It was some ridiculous title, and it was just bad. It was boring. It was a how-to book. It was mm-hmm. you know. And I thought this isn't the book I want to write. This isn't the book I want my name on. I want I want I want to make people better. You know, and 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 a lot of people said better huh,
0: in the sense of better people, yeah. better. Yeah, not just better perform but better, better people
3: yeah mm-hmm. you know people who love you know my, my motto is like live who you are, love what you do and I wanted to, to to share that I wanted more people to be excited about their choice to be a musical theater pro versus you know all of the noise and drama that that people can sit in that is not useful to anybody and and so I threw that out and and then I said, you know screw it, I'm going to sit down and write like I talk and I'm going to write the book I want to write. And so I wrote this quirky, you know, vignette book that's, you know, it's a very, it's a fast read and it has all my weird little stories and my, my quirky tools that I use. And and it sounds like I speak. And one of my favorite compliment, compliments was people who have read the book and then meet me and they're like, wow, you talk just like you sound in your book. <laughs> and I said, great. Then I did my job, okay. you know, uh, in terms of, of, of writing that book. And, and it really, you know, I've gotten some beautiful feedback in the book over the years from people who said, you know, I was ready to leave the business. And then I read this book and I felt great about my choice to stay in the business.
0: Um, We I really appreciate you talking to us. Uh, Once again, I want to go over the name of the book. It's Audition Freedom, the irreverent wellness guide for theater people. And where can people get the book? Amazon. Okay. Yeah,
3: the best. I kind of, you know, I don't do the brick and mortars anymore because uh, everything's print on demand. Did you know that like most of the books you buy on Amazon are printed when you buy them?
0: I had no idea. Yeah. That's uh, that's really that's really interesting. And also your personal website. VPBoyle.com. Vincent Paul, not Vice President. Thanks a lot. I hope that you'll go to Amazon and check out VP's book. And remember to visit Mina and Leland at Frankel & Bloom on Facebook and SoundCloud you <laughs> I want to thank all of them for talking to me, and I want to thank you for listening. I hope you'll join me for future episodes of Musicast. You can also see new musicals in the process of being created at our bi-monthly showcase, Musicale, at Rockwell Table & Stage here in L.A. For information about upcoming shows and find out how you can get tickets, please go to the website for the Foundation for New American Musicals at fnam.us. On the website, you can subscribe to our podcast. You can also join our email list to find out about upcoming and you can donate. Your generous contributions will continue the Foundation's mission to educate, encourage, and support the next generation of musical theater. So thank you for listening to this episode of Musicast.